Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. If you wonder what Anarchy is all about, simple concept. You don't need a PhD, a Doctorate of Philosophy, a Bachelor of Science, Bachelor of Arts. It's very simple. Anarchos without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, you share wealth. How do you evolve power? You create a society where there is the greatest input in the decision-making process by those who are involved in that decision-making process. That's direct democratic principles. You use direct democratic principles and wealth you hold in common. Very simple. Very easy to understand, no big deal. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. All right. Now, I know you're all confused because most people who listen to the Anarchist World this week aren't big shareholders. Now, you would think that the earth... The world as we know it is about to come to an end. It's not about climate change. Forget about that. They keep telling us it's not real, all right? You know, real things we tend to push aside. But when it comes to fiddling with welfare, corporate welfare, all hell breaks loose because that small section of society that owns the means means production, distribution, exchange and communication do own most of the media, irrespective of their old social media place today, they do continue to set the agenda. And almost every radio program I've listened to, a little bit of television I've seen, just the news, the internet trawling, which I get other people to do for me, It looks like this Labor Party proposal to redistribute $60 billion from a very small minority of the population into essential infrastructure is going to be taken for a very difficult ride. So let's explain it in black and white so we all understand what we are talking about because a lot of people 
get confused. And once you're confused, you tend to, you know, oppose particular policy initiatives or settings. Right. Okay, you've got disposable income. You can be retired. You can be 20. You've got disposable income. Now, the laws were changed in this country initially by Keating and Hawke to make it very, very attractive for people to invest in the stock market because what they were trying to do and what they have succeeded in doing is make Australia a home of shareholders because if people become shareholders in the corporate world, they will tend to support the big end of town. It's that simple. So these rule changes which occurred in the early 1990s, which were put in by Keating to a significant degree, right, were designed to encourage people to invest in the stock market. What did it mean? What was the policy setting? The policy setting was very simple. That if you bought shares, not only could you claim any losses you made as a tax deduction, what you could do is when a company or a corporation which was publicly listed paid you a dividend. And what that means is at the end of the year, if they'd made a good profit, they would share some of that profit amongst their shareholders. That's what's called a dividend, right? Now, once a dividend and a dividend is paid, it's usually about 3 to 4% okay, of your investment. That's a yearly dividend. This is, this is a separate to the rise and fall in the price of the share you invested in. So the dividend is basically, in inverted commas, the interest you derive at the end of the year. If the company makes a profit, it may decide to distribute some of that profit among its shareholders. And that's what a dividend is, right? So you buy a share, the company that you bought into makes a profit, it then distributes some of that profit to you. It's usually about 2 to 4 maybe 5% at the maximum, okay? Now, the company can decide, and most big companies can decide, to pay your dividend as a fully franked dividend. Now, a fully franked dividend has got nothing to do with Francesco or Frank, okay? A fully franked dividend is a fancy way of saying the company pays the tax on the money they have earned and usually you pay the company tax rate. Not that many corporations actually pay tax but that's a different story because you can still receive a fully franked dividend although the 
companies paid no tax, okay? But the tax is 30%, all right? So here you are, at the end of the year, your company's done really well, it's slashed and burned, made a profit, you receive in your hot little hand a fully frank dividend, okay? Say so $5,000. You've made five grand. To make five grand, you would have invested maybe $500,000 in those shares. Yeah? Oh, no, sorry. More like $250,000 in those shares. So you've got to invest a fair bit of money in those shares, you know, to get your dividend. Now, so I think that's reasonably clear, as clear as mud, but it's very simple. You buy a share, the share value goes up or down, irrespective of whether it goes up or down. The company will may pay you, at the end of the year, if they've done reasonably well, a return on your investment from about 3 to 4% is the normal rate. And then the company pays the tax on the profit they've made before they give you your money. And that's called a fully franked dividend. Now you can use... Then you have what's called imputation credits. Beautiful word, isn't it? Imputation credits. Now to make it interesting, to drag people into the stock market, right, to ensure that people invested their money in the corporate world, the concept of imputation credits was uh, established by Keating. And that what that meant is that the tax the company paid on its dividends, you could use that credit to offset losses in other parts of your business. Not necessarily shares, but if you had property and you made a loss, you could offset that loss. You could use that imputation credit, which you received because the company paid the tax. You could use it to offset losses in other parts of your portfolio, which is a fancy way of saying all the things you own that you make a buck from, whether it's negatively geared real estate, whether it's shares, whether it's land banking or whatever. Now, I know this sounds like, you know, sounds like fairyland to most of our listeners, but it's important we understand this. And I'll tell you why. Now, in 2017, I think 2001, John Howard had a marvellous idea. That they would offer people whose tax rate was less than the company tax rate of 30% a cash refund from the tax office. So if you're an investor in the stock market, you were paid a fully franked dividend, which is a dividend you receive, which the company has paid tax on, you and your marginal tax rate was less than 30%, you could acquire a tax refund 
for tax you hadn't paid in cash from the Australian Tax Office. Now, last year, the Australian government paid $8 billion in imputation credits, cash. Cash. $8 billion. Cash refunds to investors who didn't pay tax on that investment. So you get cash back for tax you haven't paid, that the company's paid for the profits it's made, okay? $8 billion. Now, when the first scheme first started in the year 2001, you'd it cost about $500 million. And within another 10 years, that $8 billion will blow out to $30, $40 billion per year. The tax office pays people cash back for tax they haven't paid. So you get cash back for tax you haven't paid. It's a little bit like winning third or fourth division in the in tax lotto, but without buying a ticket. Extraordinary. This is what dividend imputation is or, a, you know, a imputation credits. Now, obviously, a lot of people have structured their affairs in such a way as to make full use of the imputation credits. I don't, you know, and I don't blame them. Dividend imputation. It is legal, totally 100% legal. So what the Federal Labor Party is saying is we need to fix this hole. We need to plug this hole. Because that $8 billion, which was given away by the tax office, cash that was given away by the tax office, the tax people hadn't paid, can be better used for public health and public education. The federal government paid less than $8 billion for education last year. So this is an ever-widening hole in the tax bucket. Now, obviously, this doesn't just affect part pensioners or people on, you know, self-funded retirees. This is a measure designed to stop people who have billions, sorry, millions of dollars in superannuation funds or tens of millions of dollars in shares from actually not actually paying any tax. But looking at the response over the last 24 hours, you would think the world was coming to an end. And this is the issue in Australia. This is the issue. Corporate welfare is a huge cost to the people of this country. And that's why there's never enough money for essential services. There's never enough money to ensure that people on new start allowances get a decent wage. There's never enough money for public health because so much of the tax take that comes in every year, of the $450 billion that comes in every year, goes to corporate welfare. 
There are so many holes in the tax bucket. Think of it. You've got a huge bucket. You've got $450 billion, which was the tax take, and almost three-quarters of that tax take was the pays you earn taxpayers. And you've got these holes. And you've got these people with their mouths open being fed like geese you're going to make pate from. You've got $4 billion, which goes into fuel excise, you know, uh, refund to corporations, mining corporations especially. You've got $7 billion, which goes to the private health insurance industry. You've got another 3 or $4 billion, which goes into private schools. So you can see that the bucket's getting smaller and smaller and smaller in terms of providing services to the population as a whole. And that's why we've got this increasing gap between people who are trying to make a, a buck through, you know, casualised workforce, and over 25% of Australians who are working are casualised and a diminishing tax take. So it's a very difficult time. So I will give the Australian Labor Party a tick for its effort to sew up one of the holes or patch up one of the holes in the tax leaking tax bucket. But there's an easier way to have done this a much easier way, but would have caused a lot more ruckus and you would raise 25 to $30 billion every year that could be used for essential services. And that is by introducing a 1% stock market turnover tax. Right? A 1% stock market turnover tax. And that could raise 25 to $30 billion every year. And when you consider that everything is computerised, the 1% tax could be removed at the point of sale. It's very simple. It's about imagination. It's about thinking outside the box we're hemmed in, the ideological, sociological box we find ourselves in because we tend to think in a particular way which reinforces the power of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And when anybody attempts to think outside that box and introduce new concepts, it's as if the devil breathing fire has entered the room. I'll give you another example, simple example. Now, you all know over the last 40 years that the traditional division of money between investors and workers, people who sell their labour, has been turned on its head. 40 years ago, two-thirds of every dollar which was earned went to the worker and one-third went to the investor. Today, 
Two thirds goes to the investor, one third goes to the worker. So we've seen in 40 years, during the globalisation, privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation revolution, we have seen this dramatic change in the distribution of income, distribution of profits in this country. And at the same time, as I just explained, we have seen the introduction of laws which have created an investment class, which is at about 9 to 10% of the Australian population, who form the, you know, the cheerleaders for the corporatisation, deregulation, privatisation, revolution. Private, you know, revolution. They're the cheerleaders, this 10%. Whether they're stock market investors who get cash back for tax they haven't paid or the whether it's corporations who legally pay no tax or whether it's corporations that minimise their tax to such an extent that they pay a peppercorn tax, whether it's mining companies who structure their affairs in such a way as not to make any return to the country while plundering, plundering the natural resources which theoretically belong to the people of this country. So we have this situation where everything is loaded in a legislative capacity, and that means as far as the laws are concerned, to promote the interests of the 10% who have the disposable income to invest while squeezing everybody else. And you squeeze everybody else by trying to destroy what's left of the trade union movement, making trade union activity and membership seem to be a criminal offence in this country, where you have... Building workers under the Building Workers Commission have fewer rights than me if I imported a you know, billion dollars worth of uh, crystal meth tomorrow. I'd have more rights than a member of the CFMEU legally. Or you introduce high immigration rates via 457 visas where you bring in people to do work that's semi-skilled or unskilled, which local people could do, in order to put downward pressure on wages and push wages down. And we all know that over the last 30 years, there's been... Sorry, over the last 20 years, there has been minimal wage growth, and it's got to such an extent that the tax commissioner keeps saying that you've got to have wage growth or we're going to kill the economy. And nothing highlights this more than the kerfuffle that occurred when the trade union movement, the ACTU, put in an application to increase the minimum wage by $50 a week. That's about $1.20 an hour. Minimum wage. While CEOs' salaries have tripled, quadrupled, increased by 1,000%, Real wages have decreased. And when the ACTU makes an application, makes an application to the Fair Work Commission, 
that a $50 a week wage rise for the lowest paid workers in this country would be helpful not only to the individuals but to the economy, considering the fact that penalty rates have now been drastically reduced for some of the lowest paid workers in this country, you begin to understand the extent of this issue. It's huge. And it's important. We actually understand the laws and how they're structured to continue to support the investment class in this country. Because I, I don't uh, subscribe anymore to the traditional, you know, working class, ruling class, you know, definitions. I mean, class has changed. And I'll go through that in a minute. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcasting through the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscombe, hosting today's program. You can contact us on 0439 395 489. You can go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. No, you won't find out what I eat, what colour underpants I wear. You know, Toscano for the Public. Okay? Toscano for the Public. Very simple. You can go to our Pipsy website. And what's Pipsy? Public interest before corporate interest. And why did we form Pipsy three years ago? And why are we trying to register Pipsy as a federal political party? Not because we think we're going to win electorally. We'd be foolish to think that. But because we need to change the direction that political, social debate is going in this country. It must be changed. Because what we are seeing, what we see every day, is campaigns that divide us in terms of our racial origins, in terms of the colour of our skin, in terms of the type of work we do, in terms of our gender, in terms of our sexual orientation, while ignoring the central issue. And the central issue is the strength of corporate capitalism in this country. Not just in terms of the physical and economic strength, but its strength in terms of it being accepted as the only way that Australia can go forward. And every time somebody attempts to make one little push to plug the holes in the leaking taxation revenue or actually force these corporations and high wealth individuals to put a little bit more in the uh, collective bucket there's a hue and cry hue and cry just extraordinary just extraordinary you listen to the anarchist world this week so I am encouraging you to join public interest before corporate interest. Why shouldn't I? As I said, we want to change the debate. You can, you know, throw rocks at your television screen, drown your iPad in the toilet, kick the cat, my apologies to the cats of the world, you know, scream at the kids. But if you want 
you know, get out of the hole we find ourselves in, not just individually but as communities, and are unhappy with the direction this country is going in, well, it's about time that you looked at other alternatives apart from fuming or falling asleep. So I encourage you to go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interests website, download the application form, have a read. If you like it, join. doesn't cost anything. Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Go to PIBC, P-I-B-C-I dot net. PIBC, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Listen to the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. While we're talking about events, there's a few things coming up. Now, one of the things I'd like to mention is West Papua. Now, how many listeners know that West Papua is 76 kilometres from Australia? How many listeners are aware that over 500 West Papuans has died as a result of the independence struggle in that country during the last 60 years, that's 500,000 from a population of less than 2 million, directly and indirectly as a result of Indonesian colonisation. How many people realise that? This is one of the last colonies on earth. Now... I'm the convener of the West Parkwind Rent Collective. And the idea behind the West Parkwind Rent Collective was very simple. Three years ago, or about three and a half, four years ago, when I first met the West Parkwind activists in this country, I was amazed that it actually didn't have an office. And I said to myself, this is unacceptable. And my wife said to me, my late wife, Ellen Hayes, who's a Torres Strait Islander, said to me, this is unacceptable that our Melanesian brothers and sisters don't even have an office to actually promote the idea of West Papua independence. So we formed the West Papua Rent Collective, which has now been going for over three years. And what the West Papua Rent Collective does is pay the rent on the office for the West Papuan community, which is at 838 Collins Street in Docklands in Victoria, which to a large degree acts as a de facto embassy for West Papuan independence. Now, every four months, we hold a West Papuan Open Day in order to encourage people to join the collective. There's a lot of things you can do with your money. You can invest it in the stock market and get a dividend imputation. You can buy some drugs and wipe yourself out for a few hours. You could uh, have a free course meal somewhere. Go to the theatre. Go to a rock concert to see an ageing rock star move their pelvis around or, uh, you know, shake their booty. Or you could do something really effective. For a dollar a day, 
You can join the West Parkwood Rent Collective. A dollar a day. No, it's not tax deductible. For a dollar a day, $30 to $31 a month, depending whether it's a 30-day month or a 31st-day month, you can support the West Papuan Independence Movement. The office here at Docklands in Melbourne is now an essential cog in that international struggle for independence as the West Papuan community across the world and in West Papua has reached the point of raising this issue within the United Nations as a direct result of the organisational ability it gives West Papuan community to actually have an office, a functioning office. So, the next West Papuan Open Day will be on Sunday the 8th of April. That's Sunday the 8th of April. 1pm, Papuan Lunch. 2pm, Dr Eben Kirksky will be, calling, will be talking about West Papua and social justice. Now, this is an event... which is organised by the West Papuan office for the West Papuan Rent Collective members and for anybody else who is interested in joining the collective. Now, you can join the collective anonymously. All you've got to do is put $30 cash into a bank account once a month or if, if you're flushed with funds, you can put in $365 to cover the rent for a year. Now, we need another... You know, what happens in life is people die, people move on, people's priorities changes, their financial uh, status changes. So we're always looking for new members for the West Papuan Rent Collective. And if you turn up on the day, you can become a member... Or if you don't want to turn up, you want to be anonymous, you can just give us a ring. 0439 395 489. Or you can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Or you can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com and you can become a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective. For that $30 a month, you will do more for yourself and the West Papuan community and your own sense of self-importance and self-worth than you will do by putting that $30 in any other initiative. As I said before, we need your support. We need to keep this office going. It has now been going on for three years Our only role is to raise the money to pay the rent. We have three open days a year to meet West Papuan activists and catch up on how the independence struggle is going. Great speakers. And uh, this time, not only will there be Wild Timor Coffee at the end, but there will be a Kobek Sarai Papua Biscuit. 
quite interesting. Now, I've got some invitations. Uh, you don't have to ring anybody. You just turn up at the boardroom, Lifestyle Building, 838 Collins Street, Docklands, Sunday the 8th of April. Put it in your diary. Put it in your diary. An extraordinary day. Listen to the Anarchist World this week. Broadcast for the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. Now, I was going to talk about class. Yes, you thought I forgot. I could see you all kind of saying, oh, yeah, boring stuff, boring stuff. Well, let's look at class in 21st century Australia. Because class has changed. There have been legislative and social and ideological changes in this country over the last 40 to 50 years which have dramatically transformed how we interrelate, the institutional structures, because what we've seen is through the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation, revolution, is major changes, even legislative changes, which basically assist, help, a very small number of Australians at the expense of the other 90%. So let's start at the top of the heap. At the top of the heap, you've got about 1% of people who are part of part of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. We're talking about very powerful people, people with extensive commercial holdings, extensive power, who basically determine the parliamentary agenda. And that parliamentary agenda is forever structured in such a way as to promote their interests before the national interests. It's very simple. Puppet masters. Now, if if there was only a 1%, it'd be easy. It would be really easy to overthrow them. But it's not that easy. It's never that easy. Then we have the creation of a new class, a new class of Australians in the last 50 years, and that's the investment class. To be part of the investment class, it doesn't matter whether you have inherited income. It doesn't matter whether you're a white-collar worker. It doesn't matter whether you're self-employed. It doesn't matter whether you're a blue-collar worker. It doesn't matter whether you're a tradesperson. All that matters is that you have disposable income after your expenses have been paid. In fancy, you know, and in simple terms, that means is you got a pile of cash, you pay your mortgage, you pay your rent, you pay your food, you pay your kids' education, whatever, you have your holiday... And guess what? There's still a pile of money left. So what do you do with that pile of money? You buy real estate. And you're given a leg up by Parliament because you've got negative gearing rules which give people who own more than one home a tax advantage against somebody who doesn't own any homes. So you'd be stupid if you had this pile of money in front of you, you're not going to go to the casino and or the pokies and gamble it away. Well, you could, and some people do. But you'd be stupid not to take advantage of negative gearing laws and buy a flat 
as an investment and you can claim any losses as a tax deduction. And you don't have to be. You can be a tradesperson. You can be an upper echelon bureaucrat. You could be somebody who's, you know, working three jobs and you've got that little pile of money. But Parliament has passed legislation which gives you a free kick, puts you in front of the pack, gives you a 20-metre head start. So these traditional divisions in class no longer exists. And then you've got, well, if you don't want to buy a home, you can always buy shares. You can get a cash refund for tax you haven't paid. Extraordinary, isn't it? Just extraordinary. So there's all these things, all these legislative changes which give investors a really easy ride. So the more money you have, the more money you make in 21st century Australia. It's that simple. The less money you have, the less chance you have of enjoying la dolce vita, the sweet life, the good life. So that's about 10% of Australians find themselves in that situation. They can be teachers, they can be tradespeople, they can be people who've, you know, inherited some money, they can be people who work very hard, but they get this advantage, legislative advantage, that if you have money, the taxation laws are structured in such a way that you don't pay tax or you pay less tax and you create more personal wealth for yourself. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Okay? That's about 10% of the population. So where's the other 90% or 89, uh, 89%? Well, about 33% of the Australian population relies on social security benefits to survive. Whether it's a minimal new start allowance, whether it's a disability support pension, whether it's an old age pension, part-time or full-time, whether it's a single parent's benefit. Now, anybody who's had to rely on the limited income that comes out of receiving a social security benefits realise that it's not easy. Now, that 30 to 33% of Australians, if they don't have disposable income, are going to go nowhere. They are going to go nowhere economically. Because everything is structured against them. Casualised workforce, part-time work, non-unionised work sites, cash under the table, onerous Centrelink obligations to actually force people off Centrelink payments, and the list goes on and on. So their lives are not going to change irrespective of all the garbage we hear about taking people off welfare, and I never use the welfare, social security benefits. Benefits all of us. That we, the 33% of Australians who rely on social security benefits, benefits all of us. Then you have the losers. At least people on social security benefits do have 
some benefits under legislation in terms of access to dental care, in terms of access to courts, which a lot of people don't have because they don't have any money and legal aid and the list goes on. It's difficult, but it's there. Then you have the losers, people like you and me, you know, the losers. The other 50%. Well, it's actually about the other 60%. People who are self-employed and people who rely on wages. In the majority of cases, the 60%, most people pay their fair share of tax. They work their 40, 50, 60 hours a week. They educate their kids. They try to pay the rent or the mortgage. And they form the backbone of the economy. The backbone of this economy. The backbone of the resources which actually go into the common pool, you know, which is called tax, to look after the needs of all Australians. And these are the people who have been dudded by these investment-friendly laws because they will never be able to take advantage of these investment-friendly laws, or very few will, unless their circumstances dramatically changed. Casualised work, non-unionised work, Stagnation as far as wages growth is concerned. Increasing costs for the individual. Extraordinary situation. Extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. So don't tell me, and you can be a white-collar worker and you can be a blue-collar worker and you can be a medical worker and you are part of that working class. Extraordinary situations. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia. So what's the big push? Well, the big push, you know, if you get to an age where you think revolutionary change is not going to occur, and if it does, who knows what's going to happen. What's the big push? The big push today should be for a universal living wage. Increasing mechanisation, artificial intelligence... Increasing population growth will mean that for society to function effectively, we don't need as much human labour as we have. If you go to any regional centre or any country town, you can see that there are no jobs available, and if they are, they're part-time. You can see it throughout regional Australia and many suburbs in Australia that irrespective of how much government prodding and how much work for the dole and how low new start allowances are, the work's not there and it's not going to be there because we don't need, we get into the situation, we don't need everybody in the community to work. I mean, this is a push that we've had for a long time, that everybody's got to work. Throw out everybody in the workforce, men, women and children. So the universal living wage is a simple concept and it will be the mainstay of radical reform, radical change in the next two decades. And that is that a civilised society 
provides a living wage for all its citizens and all its residents. A living wage. Because there is enough profitability in this country to provide a living wage for everybody. Now, once that living wage is paid to everybody, you don't need a social security system. The social security system is the living wage. What it does is frees up people who are economically dependent on other people. So it allows women and children to have a little bit more economic freedom. And economic freedom in a capitalist society is basically the gateway to improving your lot in life. So a universal living wage would give people the opportunity not to be part of the wage system, not to be wage slaves. Now, some people may choose to work and make extra income, and I'm sure many, 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 many people will do that. But some people may choose to use that universal living wage to develop themselves, pursue other interests, because they know that the food they need, the accommodation they need, the health care they need, their children's education is taken care of for a universal living wage. And if you think this is fairy talk, and where's the money coming from? Use your imagination. The money's there. The money is there. It's a matter of how it's distributed. It's a matter of how society functions. It's a matter of how you deal with... Because if you don't deal with this situation, if you don't introduce a universal living wage, we are in for a difficult time, especially in the West, a very difficult time, as society tears itself apart. So a universal living wage, like a social security system was in the 20th century, a universal living wage in the 21st century is the panacea for order in society, for a unified society, for a society three of the violence which accompanies inequality. Extraordinary situation. Simple concept. Very simple. Exceptionally simple. It saves huge amounts of money, reduces the bureaucracy. Very simple. So this is the, the biggest challenge we face the introduction of a universal living wage. And if you think this is something new, it's not. In ancient Rome, they had a universal living wage, not for the people they conquered, but all the wealth that came in from the people they conquered that allowed the patricians, the ruling classes, to actually introduce a universal living wage for the Roman citizens. Three oil, three wheat, three accommodation, 196 public holidays a year, Three circuses, bread and circuses, where that's where the concept came from. Universal living wage provides stability 
in society. And we will need that stability as climate change creates ever-increasing issues that we need to face with. We need to face. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's program. Now, don't forget, if you are in Melbourne every Wednesday night, 6pm to 9.30pm, Konjo Ethiopian Restaurant, 20 Smith Street, Collingwood. Conversation, good food, meet people, have a chat. More than three to turn up. Turn up, pay for your own food and drinks. And a presto, you you know, you can uh, enjoy yourself. Get away from that computer board. Get away from the television stream. Get away from your family. Tonight, every Wednesday night, 20 Smith Street, Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant. Now that number again, 0439 395 489. You can join public interests before corporate interests by going to the website, downloading the application form, PIBCI, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can join the West Papua Independence Rent Collective. Give us a call, 0439 395 489 or email me at anarchistage at Want to know what colour underpants I wear? Bad luck. Want to know what the type of activities we're involved in? You can go to the uh, Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Get involved in the conversation that's occurring there. Get involved in that particular campaign. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. And if you still write, yes... You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Yes, we still communicate by letter and we do need $1 stamps. Not everybody is a lover of the World Wide Web. Some people refuse to participate and I understand why. So if you've got a spare $1 stamp or a few spare $1 stamps, whack them in an envelope, send them to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Don't forget the next Defend and Extend Public Housing Rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House on Wednesday, midday Wednesday, the 11th of April. Don't forget the... uh, Don't forget to listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program is podcast. 3cr.org.au Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah.